Hey guys, this is Candice from Altcoin Buzz Podcast, and we are in episode eight. The topic of discussion for this one will be about the human psyche and its involvement in crypto. It's going to have a little incitement into the intersection of behavior and the current market as well. With me is an Altcoin Buzz team member, Dr. G, who has a PhD in psychology and has experience in clinical application and research. He has been involved with peer-reviewed publications across diverse topics such as uh, traumatic brain injury, adoption, sleep disturbance, and increasing happiness in school-aged children. You might ask, what does this have to do with crypto? Well, whether you're mooning with the highs or falling on your knife at the lows, investments have always been involved with human behavior. What, you don't believe me? Well, how did you feel when you were at a whopping 40% on your gains compared to how you felt when you were in the red? Panic selling be damned. I'm in this roller coaster with you. And what interests me is why do we act the way we do and what emotions are involved when we do press that buy button and what emotions do we feel when we press that sell button? So maybe this will help you, maybe it won't, but the end result will be whether you like it or not, Your emotions are involved in your money, and I would be surprised if anyone was able to disconnect completely. I mean, if you've got that here, let me and Dr. G know. I know I can't. Um, So before we begin, Dr. G, who is my special, special guest for today's episode, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and what is one interesting fact you would like everyone to know about you? Hey, Candice. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Excited to be here. I've been following on the altcoin buzz crew since I uh, got into crypto not crypto not too long ago. So I'm excited to be here and share some of uh, my professional insights and apply them to uh, the world of cryptocurrency. Uh, so yeah, so a little background on myself. So yeah, I'm a PhD level uh, psychologist. What that basically means is I've uh, Gone to school for too long, studied behavior for too long, and I'm applying it now to help people out, um, especially interested in the connection between uh, behavior and illness. So I work with uh, medically ill children and adults, uh, treatment adherence, helping people with end-of-life decisions, depression, anxiety that come along with treatment, all that good stuff. But when it comes down to it, psychology is really about behavior and what influences our behavior and what we can do about that so we behave most so that's kind of uh, it's kind of the perspective I come from. Uh, been in school for I, I was in school I should say for about seven years in grad school. I was working in a psychiatric facility for the four years before that that were after undergraduate. So I've I've seen a lot and uh, applying some of my trade now to crypto, which I'm, I'm excited about uh, diversifying uh, my skill set. So. The way that I really view human behavior is what we would call uh, a cognitive behavioral viewpoint, uh, CBT, for those of you uh, familiar with the psychobabble. Uh, but what that means is the way that we interpret life and human behavior is really through three things. It's through one, our behavior. So that's what we do, what we can see. Second, through our feelings and our emotions, happy, sad, mad, angry. We know all those. And then the third one's our cognitions. 
life, human suffering revolves around, you know, feeling sad, feeling anxious, feeling overly excited. Sometimes it's manic. And there's things we can do. We can change our mood and we can change the way we think about things to influence how we feel. And that's kind of where I come in from a psychology point of view. And I'm applying that to crypto. Um, one of the, uh, I guess an interesting thing about me, a fact is, uh, when I was in grad school, when I started out my cat, uh, Persephone, I tried to, uh, teach her to use the toilet. So it basically was a a classical conditioning experiment where I gradually got her used to jumping up on the toilet. Then got her comfortable to go to the bathroom on a litter box. I was on the toilet and then just keep moving it away. And, uh, she did it a couple of times and it was pretty cool, but uh, eventually I couldn't keep up with it and she wasn't able to consistently go there. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, me trying to apply some behavioral principles to uh, get my cat to go in the toilet. So I think that's, uh, that's one interesting fact about me, I guess. Uh, very interesting indeed. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me that that came to your mind when you were going through your studies was just like, Hey, let me teach my cat how to poop in a toilet. And just the image of it. I mean, I've seen it online and stuff like that. Knowing how stubborn cats are. I actually had a cat who drove me absolutely nuts. I'm more of a dog person than anything, but uh, we found this cat that uh, my brother had found when we, uh, he had lived in South Carolina And he and my family moved northwest, and so they brought this cat with them. But we couldn't keep the cat because they'd moved into a smaller house, and so they were like, hey, Candace, can you watch the cat? And I couldn't say no. It was my brother's cat. The cat's name was Mr. Knuckles, which I think is the sidekick for the Sonic Hedgehog series of some sort. That is a great name. That's an absolutely great name. Right. And I just, I was like, whatever, Mr. Knuckles, that's kind of weird, but it's kind of cute at the same time. Anyways, this, this cat, he was so fat. I had the biggest litter box ever for him. I think I built it out of construction boxes because he would not, this is so weird. He wouldn't go inside where he was supposed to. So me trying to think of Mr. Knuckles trying to do that in a toilet absolutely blows my (laughs) mind. He also he meowed constantly for a year and a half. I wasn't able to sleep because this thing would not shut up. So the fact that you're able to apply some sort of behavioral psychology to a a stubborn cat is very amazing to me. And I applaud you for it. I hope you got it on video. I hope you tell that, tell that tale for many times to come, maybe to your kids or something like that. So they're able to, you know, take that goal and make it one of theirs because that seems absolutely impossible for me. So props to you. Uh, so let's transition from cats doing their stuff in the toilet to um, more crypto related stuff. Dr. G, what made you get into crypto? Yeah, so I had actually heard about probably about two years ago, I heard about Bitcoin for the first time. And it was always kind of uh, like a joke to me, like I didn't get it. And I kind of thought that it was like some weird internet fad that you know was going to be gone in six months so i really didn't think anything of it uh until my buddy got really into it he started getting into it i think it was early spring of 2017 he got onto the the bitcoin train uh right before it kind of really took off earlier this year and he made a lot of money about it and he 
he kept telling me about it. Like he was definitely, uh, you know, he wasn't pushing it, but he just kept telling me about how much his initial investment was growing. I kept thinking it was going to fade out. And then by uh, late November, I started to take it more seriously in early uh, December, actually. So I'm pretty new to the, to the crypto world. I jumped in, uh, got a small sack of uh, Litecoin um, on his uh, recommendation. He was telling me that, uh, that Bitcoin's fees were going to be an issue and the, uh, the time delay between sending Bitcoin. So he thought Litecoin was the the solution for everyday transactions. Um, and I think he was definitely onto something. Uh, I've, I still have a small amount of Litecoin now in my, uh, my portfolio. And he also got me into, uh, engine at the time, right then the, uh, the gaming coin. And I still hold engine. It's actually been one of my best performers. Um, so yeah, after that, after I got my bag of uh, Litecoin, and then I went to, uh, I got a little Bitcoin as well. Went to Binance, got some engine, and, uh, yeah, I took the red pill right after that, just like Neil. And like, I've been deep for the past, uh, month and a couple of days and been, you know, it's kind of taken over my mind. Like I feel like crypto does for a lot of us. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I got started. I, it's nice to see the uh, sentiment exactly is it's nice to see an early investor in Litecoin. Cause I think I grabbed it when it was around $50. I, I said this previously, and then the, the growth was just, it just exponentially took off. And so I actually still hold those Litecoin. Um, my engine, I haven't really, I've looked into it, but I really didn't get too further into it. And I was going to ask you about your current portfolio, but you kind of uh, threw out some names in there. So you said Neo, Engine, and uh, is there some other coins that you're particularly holding right now? And uh, if, when I ask you this, uh, you know, tell me what your position is when you got in. Um, you don't have to tell me how many you have, but what did you said that your best performing coin was Engine? Well, what prices did you get into those coins? Yeah, so uh, Litecoin. I think when I got into Litecoin, I want to say it was like one twenty ish, right around there, and. When I got it around 120-ish, it was like that day that I got it, it just like started jumping like crazy. And I want to say by like within two days, it was at 200. Like it was really fast. And then I put in a little bit more when it got to 200 because I I could just see the numbers increasing on, uh, you know, I had everything Coinbase at the time. So I could see it all jumping up. So then it just started. Then I just started, you know, exchanging the coins for other coins. Engine... I think when I got into Engine, it was seven cents, and it got up to close to fifty cents at its high. It's definitely down right now. I think last I looked, it was around twenty cents. But uh, I had a decent amount in it, and that's kind of been one of my uh, best performers, especially when it shot up to fifty uh, fifty cents. So I still hold it. I've I've uh, picked up more along the way. Uh, so yeah, I'm into Engine. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, so Dragon Chain, I'm into Dragon Chain. Dent, uh, you know, Blockchain J was uh, he, he was talking about the he was talking about Dent in one of his videos. So I I looked it up, uh, checked out the white paper, checked out the website. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, I really I got into that. Neo um, Publica is one that I got into that I'm actually really excited about. It's a low cap. Uh, 
it's a low cap coin. It's gone down a lot since this recent pullback, but, uh, you know, intellectual rights is something that really interests me. Empowering authors interests me. Um, so public is something that I've, I've got a decent amount of. And then power ledger, um, power ledger is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty interesting coin to me. I like what they're doing. Uh, so yeah, I think those are my biggest bags right now. I probably have about five or six, uh, smaller bags, but those are, those are what I'm most interested in right now. Very nice. I love that you use the word bags because a lot of people, when they use bags, it's more of a negative term, but I see the way that you're saying bags is just your whole is a holding if I'm correct. Right. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, there's no negative connotation with that. I just think about you know my wallet. I got a, it's a my wallet's a big sack, and then I got different bags in there. So yeah, I don't mean it in negative connotation at all. It's just how um uh, how I think about like lumping my uh, currency together. Bigger bags means more investment. Bigger position, you might say. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I just didn't <laughs> didn't want people to think that you know you were thinking. That, that they were holding some sort of uh, negative effect to it and that you were in, in lost in your investments. So bag is in money bags, guys, okay? Um, so what project are you most passionate about? Um, yeah, so if I had to pick all the ones I'm invested in right now, Power Ledger is one that really stands out to me. Um, you know, it hasn't been my biggest performer, but if I think about it from like a use case standpoint, like I really think if I could put a solar panel on the roof of my house right now, get some energy, what I can't use, I can store and sell to somebody else at a distri- through a distributed system, like not decentralized. That makes so much sense to me when you think about the monopolies that we have, especially right now where I'm at in the US. I have one um electrical company that I can purchase. I don't have a choice. I have to buy it from them. And we know what happens when there's monopolies involved. The prices become um, based on just what that main company wants to do. And there's no supply and demand necessarily that there's no play in the market. So I think putting individuals in control of selling their energy, I think that's really cool. I think that that's a way of helping address climate change, which I think is a significant issue. If we can help people gain their own um, renewable energy through solar panels or other types of energy, and then they can sell it. I think that's great. Um, more power to it. So, yeah, Power Ledger is one that I'm. Uh, I think is pretty cool about from a social perspective, kind of a global perspective. And from a uh, somewhat like less <laughs> sophisticated viewpoint, uh, engine. So. Engine, I think, is one that I'm uh, pretty passionate about as well, but somewhat from a different level. Um, so I work with kids with explosive behaviors a lot of the time, especially kids with uh, medical concerns that have explosive behaviors. And part of what I work with parents on doing is incentivizing positive behaviors and ignoring negative behaviors as a way of changing how children behave in their environment. And a big part of that is finding what we call reinforcers. And they're basically things that somebody wants that if you put them, think of it as kind of like, you know, there's two ways to address a, to get a horse to move. You can put a carrot in front of it or you can hit it with a stick. I'm all about the carrots and engine 
is a carrot for me in my clinical practice. Um, not directly, but somewhat indirectly, where a lot of the kids that I work with like video games a lot, especially the young boys. Between 8 and 15, video games are life. Um, so I'll work with their parents on figuring out ways that they can – what behaviors do they want to see – for their child, they're like, okay, when Bobby cl- cleans up his toys and plays well with his sister, I'll reinforce that behavior by giving him some credits on his video game. So when I'm making these plans with parents, we're often talking about incentivizing through um, video game credits, which is exactly what Engine, um, one of the, the use cases for it, one of the main use cases for it. So every day I'm reminded when the parents are like, you know, my kid really wants to work for video games. I'm like, okay, let's incentivize that in my head. I'm thinking, I hope they, uh, I hope they get some engine for it because I'm invested. So engine and power ledger are the two that, uh, I think are the coolest right now. That's awesome. I, I, I value the diversity in your portfolio and the things that you're passionate about. And with Engine, <laughs> uh, I've never really been into Minecraft. Uh, I was more of a Sims and roller coaster tycoon type of gal, but I can definitely see the integration of the gaming world into crypto. And it's nice to see that there's other implications as well, especially in your psychology, uh, psychological practices. Yeah, definitely. Reinforcing behavior is kind of one of the best ways to modify behavior. Reinforcing positive behaviors. Uh, yeah, and Minecraft's a weird game. Like, I don't get it, but these kids, like, love it. Like, young kids to, like, teenagers are obsessed with it, and it seems like a really odd game. Like, a game that was probably, like, might have been state of the art, like, 20 years ago. Like, it just seems, like, so archaic to me. But the kids love it, so that's all I need for intervention, so... Yeah, wild game that my Right? All we had was like Oregon Trail and where is Carmen San Diego? And these kids are building blocks and castles and infrastructures that even architectural designers can't even conceptualize. So it's absolutely insane the innovative approach that this newer generation is having and the way that we're able to incentivize them instead of the old, you know, spank on the bum or get the belt from dad sort of way. It's more of a reinforced reward system to influence better behaviors. I definitely agree with that approach. So in early episodes, a couple of us were asked about the influential people that we follow in the crypto world. And I know I follow a lot of Ethereum-based types, such as Vitalik, Charles Hoskinson, and Da Hong Fei with NEO. Uh, what about you, Mr. G? Or I'm, I apologize, Dr. G. What influential people it's do okay. you follow? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so when I got in early, I started following uh, Jeff from Altcoin News, aka Block Blockchain J. Uh, so he's still one of my main one of my main follows. Uh, I have the alerts on my uh, on my YouTube, so when the new videos come out, I I watch it, watch them from the rest of the team members. Um, in addition to uh, you know the Altcoin crew um, on Twitter, I'm pretty. Uh, Getting, I've been in Twitter pretty heavy for the past couple months. I feel as though that's where I can get a lot of information, a lot of timely information. Um, two of the guys I've been really uh, watching recently, uh, Parabolic Trev and uh, Peter Brandt, they're kind of uh, Parabolic. They're both TA guys, and uh, Parabolic Trev is kind of the uh, – 
the infinite bowl and Peter Brandt's uh, a little more in between, but has at least recently been more towards uh, the bearish side of things. So they're kind of my uh, technical analysis, yin and yang on Twitter. Uh, so they're, they're big. I follow what they say a lot. Um, Ledger status, uh, data dash, John Bollinger, uh, crypto Yogi. Uh, those are all guys that I follow as well. Uh, Ledger status recently has been uh, pretty on point. Uh, and then, of course, John uh, McAfee. Uh, he's, he's a wild dude. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, he's a professional shiller at this point. But uh, he still he definitely knows his stuff. And he's just a wild dude. So, you know, I watch him for what he's talking about. But I just watch his, uh, his life as well because, you know, he's – the guy's a maniac, so he's pretty cool to keep tabs on. So, yeah, I think those are kind of my uh, my main follows right now. But I'm always uh, on the lookout for uh, new data for my uh, to feed my crypto machine. So, yeah, always looking for new people to follow for sure. I like it. Oh, John McAfee. Uh, I follow him as well. I think everyone in the crypto sphere follows him. So he's got a huge following and a lot of influence in that. So introductions aside, all of that, let's get to our main topic of discussion. And I'm going to, I think one of the most important decisions for people to make is the person itself. When should I get into crypto? And when I do get into crypto, how deep, how deep should I go? Uh, Do you have any advice on that? yeah so those are like great questions and i think a lot of people jump before really thinking about it i mean i know i did so i'm speaking from a uh, personal experience you know i didn't think twice about should i get it or not i just was like oh my buddy's saying this right now at this point i see things shooting up i'm jumping in and then that kind of uh momentum has been carrying me but yeah i think there are some things that uh I think that we should consider about uh, before we get before we jump in or how deep we jump in. So I think one point I just want to talk about before we really get into those nuts and bolts of things are kind of uh, just touching on what I was talking about earlier with kind of cognitive behavioral approach and how I view things. So that's kind of probably going to influence most of this discussion. But yeah, the way that we feel, I feel as though our cognitions or our thoughts and our behaviors are kind of the two main things that influence how we feel. And the reason I think our emotions or feelings are important is because those have a direct impact inversely on how we behave in our thoughts. And then when we think about our behaviors and our thoughts, those are directly related to our behaviors in the market. And if we buy or sell or if we try to wait something out or, you know, who we're listening to. So I think those are kind of my main hooks for psychological intervention, our thoughts and behaviors as a way of influencing our feelings and influencing themselves. So there was this guy called uh, Abraham Maslow, and I think he has a lot to do with kind of the first part of your question of like, should I get into crypto? And probably the second part and how deep as well. And Abraham Maslow, so he was a, uh, for any of uh, our psychologically minded uh, listeners out there, he was a, He was a psychologist, an American psychologist, and he was known for studying uh, some of what I would consider, and I think a lot of people would consider kind of like our our brightest, our smartest, our 
exemplars of uh, society. So people like Albert Einstein, his contempt, these are all contemporaries of his time, Albert Einstein, Eleanor Roosevelt, Frederick Douglass, uh, and there is, there's many more. Those are just ones that come to mind. So he studied those people, the greats of art of his times, rather than, say, the mentally ill, which when we think about psychology as it is today, a lot of what we talk about is derived from um, what we consider abnormal psychology or the presence of um, pathology, clinical pathology. Um, so he had a different approach on things. And what he did, what he learned from studying kind of those exemplars of our time is what we have attributed to him as a bedrock of psychology is the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what he did, and this was actually a paper, I think it was uh, 1943, it was called A Theory of Human Motivation, and he basically took a developmental, a stage-based view on kind of human needs from picturing your mind a pyramid that goes to the top that has, uh, you know, like five levels on it. So kind of like your food group pyramid, if you want to think about something that we're uh, – that's around today. So at the bottom, you would have like your physical needs. So uh, am I getting food? Am I getting water? Am I, am I trying to place to sleep? Do I have a roof over my head? All of those are your physical needs. And then you have your safety, which is like, am I safe emotionally, physically, um, relationally? Love and friendship comes next, then self-esteem. So that's kind of self-esteem is kind of your need uh, for respect. And then self-actualization, which is the top of that pyramid, which is kind of the point that you get to when you're at your full potential that no one truthfully really gets to if you think about it, but it's always kind of the goal. So how this relates to like how deep you should get in or if you should get in is reflecting on yourself. Where are you at right now? Because we're talking about cryptocurrency which is a pretty uh volatile um you know phenomenon right now it's various infant stages there's big ups there's big downs as we know right now so there's a lot of risk involved so should somebody that you know doesn't have their basic needs met like doesn't have a roof over their head can't consistently get food um isn't doesn't have sufficient clothing should they be um Putting money into cryptocurrency? Probably not. Probably not. Um, maybe, what about safety? If Is your safety not met? Can you um, – do you feel emotionally unstable? Do you feel as though you're in physical danger consistently? If all those things are in place, you know, you probably need to address those before you're putting your money into a risky investment. And then you have love and friendship – um, I would venture to say that with those first two, with those first two levels, if you have both of those met, then you can start to consider. Okay, I have my physical needs met, and I have my physical safety and emotional safety or relational safety met. Okay, those are good. I'm not still this pot of money on the side. Okay, then you can start to think. Okay. How are my relationships, my love life? How are those things, my self-esteem? Now, I'm not saying you have to have a robust relationship with every person in your life and all of these things, but, you know, you might want to have a few functional relationships in your life before you really start getting into these other type of things. Um, 
So, yeah, so I think that uh, I think Maslow has a lot to say with when you should get in. And basically at those two levels, if you have your physical needs met and your safety met, after that, then you can consider based on the how you're meeting the other domains and if you need to work on those or not. And then gauge your, the amount that you're willing to put in. So it's like, okay, you know, I'm uh, – I need money to go out with my friends, but I also need money to put in cryptocurrency. Well, you know what? I would say from a long-term standpoint for psychological health, having friendships, especially close, intimate friendships and romantic partners is super important for your long-term mental health. So in that case, I'd say, you know what? You have this pot of money. Yeah, maybe some of it you can put in crypto, but some of it can put in supporting, you know, like your your dating life, going out with your friends, uh, doing fun things. Um, So... I think we need to think and reflect on where we're at and if our needs are met. And then with the excess, we can consider playing around with it with, uh, in this crazy market. Uh, I think also, uh, you know, setting goals for yourself, I think important. And when you talk about how deep you want to get, like, you don't want to put all your money in right away, wade in bit by bit until you feel comfortable and you get used to it. And then you can put in more. So, I guess to sum it all up, I think knowing yourself, reflecting on yourself and where you're at in your hierarchy of needs is kind of a good way to start to conceptualize if you should get in. I completely agree with all that you said. We need to make sure that we put ourselves in check when it comes to throwing money at at something that has become and is seen with proof very volatile. And with that, you should have a plan in mind for when you're investing. Look at it from a different approach than just the fear of missing out, the fear of getting into an ICO at the beginning stage and catching it where it's at its bottom. I've had multiple people reach out to me from the altcoin altcoin buzz community that say, I just don't know how to find these coins that just like they get on there and then they just shoot right up and I've missed my chance at a a thousand percent gain in It's like you can put money here, you can put money there, you can put it everywhere, but there's there's a chance in that and it it becomes gambling at that point because here you are trying to throw money at at something that may be something or it, it may be not anything at all. And so you have to take a very, like you said, a very good look at yourself. It's very self, it it ties into your self-awareness. What is this money to you? What is the importance of this money to you? If you can throw it in there and you can be sound with it, you can walk away with it, then do so. At least you're a part of it. But look at your individual goal, look at your progress, and realize that cryptocurrency is, although it's in its infancy, it's the new frontier. And we have no idea. Every time we wake up in the morning, we have no idea where this is going to go. So make sure that your Maslow of needs, your hierarchy of needs is met. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. I completely agree with you 100%. I think when I started this podcast and the why I'm getting so involved is to combat the people that jump on board to make sure that that their heart is in the right place. Not their heart, but their intentions are in the right place. You can't get, guys, you're not going to wake up one day and be able to go buy a Lambo. Those are the people that were in before it was cool. Okay. Those are the people that, that knew that threw their money into Bitcoin and then maybe forgot about it or were in the know. So 
whether there is market manipulation, whether there are whales, whether whatever, there were people that knew before us, even the, the bigger people that are investing. There were some insiders that knew and it, it ties into the stock market as well. Just be sound in your investments. Be sound in the fact that you're in it and celebrate the fact that you know about this. I talked about this in uh, a different episode about uh, cryptocurrency and its involvement in developing countries. You are part of that 1% that know about this new technology. So embrace it and have fun with the ride, but don't invest more than you can lose. And I think, Dr. G, you would completely agree with me on this point, correct? Yeah, no, I do. I completely agree with that. You honestly have to be in the mindset with whatever you're going to put in, you could potentially lose because this is just a wild ride that we're on right now. And we probably will be on for the foreseeable future. And Candace, I think you touched on a great point when you were um, you were talking about expectations is kind of a big uh, a big thrust of what I was hearing in there. And I think having realistic expectations is super important for a way of kind of combating some of the uh, emotional psychological distress that you can feel when uh when slinging these cryptocurrencies around um so when i heard you talking about you know people contacting you about uh you know they want to get on that on tron when it's like you know 0.01 or whatever it was before it shoots up like four thousand percent and how they're not on those and you're the thing is is we're gonna miss those we're gonna miss we're gonna hit some of the things that we think are gonna go aren't gonna go and we just have to be okay with that and just know that you know we're not always gonna hit them out of the park you know when you think about uh baseball players for example some of the best baseball players in the world hit, they succeed three out of 10 times. They bat 300. And I think we need to take that same approach to crypto. It's like we got to hit sometimes, but we also have to realize that we're not going to hit all the time and we're not going to hit every rocket ship before it goes off. We're not going to know every dip before it happens. And just being okay with that, and I think, yeah, I think that starts with kind of having those basic needs met, so then you can withstand those ups and downs emotionally, and then you can react behaviorally, well, I should, when I say react, I mean proactively and reactively, um, respond to those changes in the market. So, yeah, I think expectations is a huge part of it, and I think that uh, you should know going in that you could lose all your money, and that's just it's part of the game we play right now. I definitely, it, it's like this, the average Joe or Jane, what are their thought process when they go into a casino? They go in with the mental state of they're possibly going to lose money. And a lot of people that are starting to get into investments and starting to put their money into the market are starting to realize that it's not as easy as you think. Like you said, putting all your... <laughs> Like you're at a, da- a game of uh, blackjack, you sit down and then you're just like in wall- one all bid, you're putting all your money down and you're just, you're thinking of it like you're going to get some sort of significant return out of it. And that's how I see people approaching the crypto, uh, the crypto market is that 
they've seen a thousand people do it before and a thousand people win. So why wouldn't they, they win? And that's the odds. <laughs> that's the chances that you're taking when you're putting your money into something. And I think you said expectations and that's why these people fall. And I, I think I know where your, your, your next segue is. It's about, uh, the stimuli and the way that, uh, how why do we react the way we do in this sort of uh in these sort of uh, situations what happens to us uh mentally and physically when we're doing this and throwing our money into something expecting such great returns yeah so i think environment or stimuli as you put it play a huge role in our expectations so i like the uh i like the analogy that you have or the uh the comparison with the casino and investing so when we go to a casino, typically those of us who go into it in a what I would consider like an emotionally and behavioral healthy approach will go in with maybe a few hundred or whatever is like an amount that we're cool with losing or that we're cool with uh, just playing with and having a fun night with. So because we're walking into the casino, we know, hey, casinos, high risk. Most people don't win. We know that when you're walking out of a casino, most people are going to be walking out unhappy. So we go in with those expectations because because that stimulus of knowing that we're going to a casino has certain expectations. Conversely, when we think about cryptocurrency, our kind of how we associate right now, at least I think how I associate, how I kind of uh, hypothesize that others uh, associate cryptocurrency is more with the stock market than with gambling. And I don't think we're at the stock market by far with stability. And I also don't think we're completely. But I think that that kind of um, alignment with the stock market, because that's kind of how cryptocurrency is set up with the exchanges, kind of gives us this um, false sense of stability when we expect that our money is going to keep going up rather than the casino where we go in expecting our money is going to go down. So I think kind of knowing what you're getting into and understanding how environment impacts your perception of reality and then therefore your ability to interact with that reality is really important. Um, you know, there's that famous uh, psychology experiment with Pavlov. Uh, Pavlov, so he was a psychologist, he had a dog. And what he did was he had a bell and he would ring his bell and feed his dog all the time. So what happened was that dog started to realize, like, hey, every time my uh, <laughs> my human uh, Pavlov rings his bell, I'm going to get food. So what, his bo- what the dog's body did is he started preparing for that food simply at the sound of that bell ringing. So that bell would ring. He'd begin to salivate. The spit would just drool off his mouth. Then he'd get the food and he'd eat. And that was reinforced over time. Then what Pavlov did is they took away the food and he would only ring the bell. And when he would ring the bell, the dog would drool because the dog had learned to associate the bell with the food, even though naturally those don't exist. And I really think that when we think about the casino or investments, that we're associating the same way that Pavlov's dog was associating. We are associating the investment with the stock market, therefore anticipating higher stability than anticipating it with gambling, which I don't think it's gambling, but I think it's somewhere in between 
but when we put our expectations different because we don't um, reflect on our underlying bias or underlying associations, we can, um, our expectations can lead us astray a little bit and then therefore lead us into emotional distress when our expectations don't meet um, the actual outcome of those transactions. Let me reiterate what I was saying with my, my casino uh, example that yes, that you're looking to expect to lose money. Now with the stock market, you're not looking to lose money. You're, you're, you're wanting your investment to grow. And that's why we believe in the stock market. And that's why we use the stock market. So it's a weird, it's a weird combination of both because of the volatility that the cryptocurrency market has. We do have that, like you said, that weird expectation of stability because with the stock market, you throw a hundred shares into Coke, you know, Coke isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So you're right. Right. you're waiting for the market to stabilize, to consolidate, and then you're looking for the spikes and it, whether it be on good news, whether it be on rumors, whether it be on adding a, an amazing team member or it being a merger or an acquisition of some sort. There's two separate expectations. And for some reason, crypto seems to combine both. So I'm not saying that crypto is gambling. I mean, obviously I'm invested myself and I'm invested in the long haul. So, and I, I have a, a less risky approach to all of my investments because I have such a long history of financial investments. I mean, I've got like, I can't even count how many savings accounts I have. And I, I'm, it may be boring to you because I'm, I'm not looking at it from a volatile perspective, but like I said, I've tried the day trading and I just couldn't hold on to the roller coaster ride that, that day trading or scalping is. And so, like I said, it's it's a combination of both. And I think you, you summed it up perfectly uh, with what I was trying to say. And so with that, it sounds like theory uh, can inform us on how we think about our behavior in crypto. But what have you learned from your actual clinical work? I basically work with changing our changing uh, my patients' thoughts and changing their behaviors to uh, typically relieve the distress, increase their ability to function, whether that be in school, whether it be at home with their spouse, uh, whatever, whatever it is. So, you know, I treat some of our uh, standard disorders that you'll find in uh, the DSM or the ICD-10, which are kind of the medical and psychological uh, diagnostic uh, handbooks. Um, so I think we can learn something from the theories, but yeah, I think we can definitely learn something from uh, applied clinical work as well. Um, so yeah, so for my clinical work, I work with, uh, children and adults, uh, with different, um, psychological pathologies, if you will. So these can range from depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, those are just, those are just, uh, a few. And what those disorders typically are is they're, they have, um, common themes within them, but they're really just symptom clusters. So there's a lot of overlap, um, like sleep disturbance, for example, is common in anxiety, bipolar, depression, um, et cetera. There's common overlap, but they're just symptom clusters. And I see these symptom clusters a lot when we look at the ups and downs in the market and how individuals react to it. So for example, when we think about, um, kind of where we're at right now. So there's been this, uh, this sea of, uh, 
bloody red uh, dips recently that has not been a uh, fun time for, I think, a lot of us, especially those of us who got in fairly recently. Um, so when we think about that, depression comes to mind to me. So what do we think about when we think about depression? Like, what does that mean? Well, there's common symptoms that are that are associated with uh major depressive disorder. And before we get into this, I just want to say that I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that those of us in crypto suffer from major depressive disorder or OCD or any of these things. I'm just saying that I see similarities in the symptoms and the things that we manifest in ourselves and that there's things that we can do from the mental health literature and applied clinical work that can apply to crypto, those of us in crypto. So depression, you know, we're talking about feeling sad um, in children. A lot of times you see irritability. Um, I think when the market's going down for a couple of weeks, I think it affects a lot of us. I think some of us are more irritable. Some of us aren't feeling as up as we were. Diminished pleasure is another symptom of depression. Appetite changes. Um, I remember listening to a video a couple of days ago when Blockchain Jay was talking about how when the market's going down, he doesn't feel as though he's eating as much. And yeah, that's probably uh, that's probably the truth. When we're not feeling the best about ourselves, we don't eat as much. We our sleep gets disturbed. Um, we feel guilty. So guilt, I mean, when we're investing a lot of money, then all of a sudden we're seeing a tank, you know, especially if our basic needs aren't met, you know, that might, uh, that might make us feel guilty. Uh, so what can we do about it? If we're having any of those depressive symptoms related to our, uh, you know, our crypto trading, uh, well, first I would say, just think about like, Hey, do you have your basic needs met? If not, you know, maybe pull back and address those basic needs then jump back into crypto. Um, but if you got your basic needs met and the ups and downs are still bothering you, you know, there's, there's some things that we can do. So like I said in the beginning, the way that I work with uh, psychological pathology is changing our thoughts and our behavior. So from a behavioral standpoint, if you're having these symptoms of feeling sad, irritability, appetite changes – some of the best things that we know to help people behaviorally are what we call behavioral activation. So that means doing something and doing something consistently. So that's the counter to what happens when people are feeling depressed, where they want to isolate in their rooms, isolate from society, not do the things that they typically do. They withdraw. So we know that purposely integrating yourself back into things, especially things that you find fun or enjoyable is a way to change what you're doing to change your mood. So engaging in fun behaviors is something that uh, something that, that you can do to uh, help inc- decrease any of those symptoms that we talked about before. Um, another thing that fits right into that is uh, exercise. So exercising is a great way. We have these things called endorphins in our brain. That are natural painkillers, when we exercise, they're released, and that helps diminish a lot of the feelings associated with depression, the sadness, the irritability, the appetite changes. So exercise is a great thing that you can do if you're having those symptoms. Setting uh, consistent sleep-wake patterns. So, you know, when we get depressed, our sleep cycles kind of become disturbed. So really setting up a time that you go to sleep and the time that you wake up can help stabilize your sleep-wake cycles and in turn stabilize your mood. Um, from a cognitive perspective, there's things that we can do. We can change the way that we're thinking. And a big part about this is examining the evidence. So, you know, if you if you just got into crypto, say, a month ago, which I think a lot of people have, you got it a month ago and all you've seen is red because you bought it all-time highs. 
which you didn't know any better because right? you just wanted to jump in. And then you saw this, like, you've just been going down, going down, going down ever since. Well, it's easy to think, you know, I need to sell at these lows and sell these losses because it's bad and it's always been bad and therefore it's always going to be bad. So those are common, what we call cognitive distortions that happen for people who are depressed or have the symptoms of depression. So the way to address that is to kind of challenge those, those thoughts. So, okay, so you've been in for the past month and it's always been red. Okay, what, what happened during the times that you weren't in? Was it always red before that? Well, if we go back and look at the historicals, of course it was. There was this huge run-up. There was this down. And if you look at the historicals, you see this dip right around this time of the year and then a rise a month or two from here. And there's kind of a traditional cycle. So if you feel that everything's bad and it's always been bad, but what's the evidence for that other than your um, individual perspective? And then by looking for those data, you can kind of challenge those faulty beliefs. And we know that when people are feeling not the best about themselves, that those feelings have a way of changing our thoughts and making them um, not realistic based, not uh, real, kind of based on uh, distortions. Yeah. And there's several other strategies uh Another one that really uh, rings true to me personally is obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. So OCD is just like what it sounds like. It's a disorder that's characterized by two main components, your obsessions and then your compulsions that are associated with those obsessions. So you think about something all day, most of the day, and then you have to do something to make it feel all right. So some people, they might have an obsession with germs. So they wash their hands five hours a day, greatly impedes their life. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that those of us in uh, crypto wash our hands five times, but I think some of us, especially those of us newer to the game, um, may have an obsession with crypto and in turn a compulsion with checking your phone and refreshing your uh, your wallets and seeing the change. Uh, I know this was something with me. Um, Candace, do you ever do you ever have anything that like that happened to you when you were like checking your phone when you first got into like refreshing, or is that is that just me? No, completely. Um, when I, even when I was in the stock market, I did the same thing, but that was more so when I was. I was watching it in real time, but with crypto, it's 24 seven. So it, it becomes a more, uh, more of an obsession than, um, your day-to-day stock training because that ends and then there's a new day that happens. So I, I do, I have my portfolio and it's funny. I was on, on a uh, call with Jeff earlier and he was, uh, showing me and Sarah who, uh, who is another team member, uh, a part of the altcoin buzz ladies and a narrator for the channel. And it, <laughs> he was sharing a screen and showing us some, some of kind of the tricks and trades of creating videos. And he just all of a sudden clicked to the market cap. And I was like, I was just watching him check it. He goes, Oh, sorry. I just got to check what's going on. And you know, he has to do this because he's running this channel and because he has money invested. And I definitely see me and a lot of people that I know constantly checking uh, for the sea of green or the sea of red. But I think that's because we have this passion, this ingrained new passion. Have you ever adapted a project and like you just become so obsessed with it? You want it to work so badly. And it's that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial type principle where 
you throw everything you have into it and then you're waiting for positive results that are going to occur. And I think a lot of people with investing waiting for that growth to happen, they're just, it's like a, a fallacy of some sort. They they keep checking it and they're waiting for <laughs> their, their, for the picture to change or the numbers to change, the percentage to change. And it does, it becomes a habitual a moment and people are constantly on their phones. And if our addiction to phones wasn't even worse, now you've added money to it. And now you've added uh, the, the chance for growth to uh, fulfill your life more so. And so I definitely see the correlation between uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, crypt- crypto. But I think that goes along with the lines of how uh, convenient and accessible uh, the crypto is is making everything. Everything is digitized, and unfortunately, the only way that we're able to connect ourselves is through that that mobile digital asset of some sort. Um, yeah, I check it all the time. I I think I checked it a couple of times while I was talking to you, Doctor G. I'll be honest. Hey, that's all good. I was just looking at my phone right now, so I get it. I get it. I constantly check the uh, the market cap myself as well. Um, so yeah, I think you brought up a good point. I think a big difference between this and the stock market is that 24 seven nature of it in that obviously the volatility as well, which we've already touched on, but what that does that 24 seven, it kind of makes it so that it's always on. So you're always on, you're always in this environment of this, this, um, what could we call it? Like a, uh, a stimuli that kind of induces a behavior and it doesn't stop. So normally in a stock market, there's certain times, you know, that you're on, you're off. So you're able to shut it off this thing. You're constantly in that environment. So it's, it's hyper arousal for your brain. So what are some things that we can do to kind of, uh, to manage this? So when I started, yeah, I was checking my phone all the time. Um, I was talking to my buddies about it. They were doing the same thing. Um, then when I was talking about one of my buddies who was been in it for a while, he was saying that how he's limited himself to checking his phone three times a day for a while, it became a lot easier for him. So that's something that we do for the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder. It could be considered like a form of scheduling. So if somebody's washing their hands 50 times a day, all right, so tomorrow let's try washing your hands 45 times the next day. 40 times and tell me how you're feeling with that 35 times 30 and just go down and what we know is that if we have a gradual decrease like that we can change behavior because the distress isn't going to be so big that you're going to whip back to whatever you were doing so i think scheduling when you check your phone could be a helpful thing if you feel as though you're checking it too much um another thing that we use for obsessive compulsive disorder is what we uh we call a replacement behavior so this has helped, honestly, me greatly, especially uh, with my partner. <laughs> so I was talking to her when I got into crypto a lot about crypto to the point where it started to make her like I could tell that she didn't want to talk about crypto with me this much. So what I did was I, I created Twitter and I used that as a way of kind of getting my uh, – my thoughts out. So that was a replacement behavior for my compulsion. initially was to talk to my partner about every thought I had about crypto and my replacement behavior was like, Hey, let's talk about this to a, the world and just get this out of my system. 
Um, when that comes to, so that was for me, my obsession was talking to my part of my compulsion, I should say, when it comes to just checking your phone, you know, you could do something else. Every time you have the urge to check your phone, you know, check another app, check your email, do something else rather than check your, um, check your crypto to see if it's increasing or decreasing. Um, cause that is a way of kind of, uh, not how I should put this, but being able to have a replacement behavior is better behaviorally than having no behavior. Cause in the instance when you're presented with the time having putting exerting no behavior, how do you fill that space? It gives in, it, it opens this window so you can give into your urges more and check more. So traditionally in psychology, we always go with a replacement behavior. So I would say if you're checking a lot, Find something else that you can do when you have the urge to check or go with a scheduling approach. Those are kind of be my, uh, my two suggestions with that. Uh, some anxiety that can come with, uh, with crypto. You know, it's a future – anxiety is a future-oriented disorder. There's anxiety that can go with that. Um, you know, we traditionally have deep breathing exercises, progressive muscle relaxation as a way of uh, decreasing your, um, your anxious arousal. Um, and it's something else that I know I always hear, uh, Jeff talking about blockchain J talking about on the videos is people FOMOing into uh, all time highs or just FOMOing in general. Um, and I think that's a big thing. And I think that has some similarities when we think about bipolar disorder. So bipolar disorder has the symptoms of depression that I talked about earlier, but it also has these highs that we, you know, that can be hypomania or mania so different levels of kind of this elevated uh mood that becomes problematic um and i think fomo is almost a uh almost analogous with hypomania you know it's this it's a decrease in your ability to um hold back your impulses so you're more quick to give into your urges uh, there's thoughts of grandiosity there's these thoughts that you have all of this ability and all of this power things are never going to go bad they're always going to be right so what happens when you feel like that when you're seeing that green those double digit increases you fomo into it you get into it so working with people with bipolar a big part of um treatment is kind of understanding at the individual level when you're feeling like you're getting into this uh manic state or this fomo state what does that feel like for you what kind of thoughts go through your mind when you're getting up into that state what kind of behaviors do you do how do you feel what happens to your sleep and just becoming we use the uh, term mindful it's actually a set of strategies but becoming aware of that and as soon as you notice hey I feel like I want to get this, uh, get this, uh, this crypto just because I heard Jeff talking about it and I think it's going to moon real soon. Think about it. Are you, is this a sound decision that you're making? Did you research or are you just jumping in right now because you, everything's going good and it's always going to be good? Um, so a way of kind of combating that FOMO is I think where it starts for me is where it starts with bipolar treatment as well is kind of understanding what those sensations are you have <laughs> before you FOMO, because then you can think, is this a FOMO or is this not a FOMO? Um, when, we, when we think about from like a neurologic perspective, a psychoneurologic perspective, I should say, is if we think about, we have um, 
there's two there's several parts of our brain there's a lot of parts of our brain but two of the big parts one of them is called the frontal lobe and it's right behind your forehead and that's an area associated with impulse control um advanced planning the ability to shift between tasks it's kind of where our higher level tasks are it's kind of the ceo for the brain so that's your frontal lobe um, kids with ADHD um, have poor frontal lobe uh, development or activity. And then we have this other level called the limbic system. And that's kind of in the middle of our brain. And what that limbic system is, and that's a diffuse system, but what that limbic system is, is that's kind of our emotional center. So that's where we interpret emotions through. That's where we begin to express our emotions through. And then that comes out through expressed behavior and cognitions, et cetera. Um, and what we know about how these two systems work is they're they're connected and they're connected heavily, but there's only so much brain power to go around at any given time. So we're in, when we're investing, which is what cryptocurrency is, and this is an investment. This is far closer to investment than it is to gambling. We want to use that frontal lobe. We want to use those advanced CEO skills of the brain and be able to plan to be able to plan sequences, to be able to set goals, to be able to shift, and especially to inhibit behavior, inhibit FOMO, inhibit selling early, panic selling. And if our limbic system is to engage that emotional center, it pulls the power away from the frontal lobe. And then that limbic system, that emotional center, becomes far more engaged and we lose that ability to really think logically and reasonably. So for me, when you think of all of the, uh, the behaviors and cognitions that can go with crypto, really thinking like, hey, am I thinking with my emotions right now? Or am I thinking with kind of my advanced planning skills? And if you feel as though you're thinking with your emotions, let's do something to help ease those emotions, to calm them down. So then we can shift back to our more advanced skill set and make those um, technical decisions that are kind of key to uh, our success in the long run. Um, so, yeah, that is my extremely long-winded way of talking about, uh, you know, pathology and the treatments for and how I think that relates in neurobiology and how I think that relates to, uh, you know, crypto trading and the crypto life. Oh, yes, very long-winded, but very detailed. And I think it's very important for people to, again, be self-aware of what they're doing and what they're getting into. I know that that's one of my flaws is being able to keep a self-awareness sort of aspect to everything I'm doing. I mean, I'm a big spender at times. I'll have a hefty paycheck and instead of putting in savings like I generally do, I would get this sense of... Um, safe safety uh, like you said about the the hierarchy of needs and that way I'll go splurge I'll go just go spend money and you know I'll be sound in that effect that I'm spending that money in thinking that I'm confident in the supply of money that I have and so that goes it kind of goes back into play with the money that you're okay with losing and it, it hits it right on the head when you said that be aware of your strength and your weaknesses especially Enable to cope and be able to manage in the way that you're going into it. And it's very complex. Well, things that we're talking about, guys, it's very complex. And to sum it all up, just just be aware. 
Like that's as simple as we can get, right? Dr. J is be aware. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think with uh, psychological treatment and with crypto, it always starts with self-awareness. That is kind of the foundation of um, effective uh, cognition, effective thinking, and effective behavior. So yeah, Candace, I completely agree. Being self-aware of your emotional state and your strengths and weaknesses are kind of, if you got to take one thing away from this, that is the key. So yeah, you're dead on with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th- all the psychological e- aspects of it, it, it's very intriguing. And, and I hope that you all see it as interesting and take a little, you know, like we said, take something from this and put it into your future investments. And, you know, Dr. Dr. G, I want to know specifically, what is your trading style? Are you a passive investor where you are a longtime uh, holder? Are you an active trader where you don't hold long positions uh, but and you sell at a certain percentage of growth and do you have a determined stop loss with that? Or are you a reactive seller where you're watching, watching the charts uh, and some negative views pops up on your Twitter feed? Because I use Twitter too for all my events. Uh, and then you see you start to see the red candle of doom. And if, for those that don't know what that is, it's, it's a, a term... Uh, the candle is a term that is used for investors to watch the chart and uh, the red candle means that that they're selling and so when you see this big red candle of doom you see this dramatic drop do you get out and still maintain a margin of profit how is your trading style my trading style uh, you know i was a little arrogant when i started so i think at this point right now um i'm more on the passive side uh i'm holding you know i've been holding my main i think i got like 10 or 11 coins right now and i'm not moving anything around uh, until we get a a solid upswing so i'd say i'm, I'm more passive right now um, i will say for a little while i was uh you know, I thought I could uh, start to read some of these, some of this technical analysis. I thought I'd get an edge and be able to do some quick day trading and make some uh, quick gains. Uh, got into, you know, trying to anticipate what a drop was going to be, then put everything in tether right before the drop, and then as soon as a drop happens, drop it back in and hope for the jump back up. And needless to say, I that is not my strength, and I didn't recognize it then, and it burned me. So at this point, I've recognized, like, hey, that's not my game. I need to put these things in for weeks, months, and then see what they come out. So I'm more interested right now in kind of like the ideas of the projects and uh, the technical components of what they're doing, the team, um, kind of the long-term outlook that I am for this day-to-day thing. Because that, 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 that's not my strength. Uh, I don't have the ability for that right now. So I need to be honest with myself for that. It's that overconfidence effect, right? It's like we said, we keep talking about self-awareness. Uh, we tend to overestimate our own abilities, thinking we know more than we actually do. And I see that a lot with the whole tether technique. I never tried it myself because I couldn't uh, conceptualize putting my money and losing the early position I had. So I avoided tether and kept those, uh, especially if I I had a margin of a profit between the dip and where I had invested. So I I steered clear of the tether. And like I said, I have a more less risky approach. So not saying that I was one of the lucky ones or not saying that that approach isn't smart. I just never really touched it. but the overconfidence effect, 
uh, you know, there's this self-awareness and, and cockiness kind of takes over and it, it attributes to this overconfidence effect. So when we're trying to catch the next Bitcoin and then we're trying to catch the next Ethereum and we have that confidence that it'll shoot up, we, int- we try to you know, use that technique and invest in to ICOs or in tokens that that don't have a, a basic a credibility or validity behind it. And so we're always trying to catch that ride before it takes off. What do you think about that, Dr. G? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I think that the overconfidence effect is a significant um phenomenon that happens because i don't want you to beat yourself up over it i think that happens in crypto i think that happens in life in general uh, i'm not going to get this uh study completely right but i'll give you uh there was something that I, I read about a month ago it was a study about uh drivers and like so automobile drivers and then perceptions of like how they stack up against other drivers and it was something I want to say it was between like 70 and 80 percent of the population that was sampled reported that they were better, that they were an above average driver. So let's think about that. 50 percent is average. If you're above average, that means you're above the 50 percentile. And we got 70 to 80 percent of people saying that they're above average. Statistically, not possible. But it just goes to it's just uh, emblematic of how people feel as though they're good at things and there's actually i don't remember the actual term for this but there's a theory that people who actually know the most underestimate their abilities and the people that know the least overestimate their abilities so i think both that study and then that theory i wish i could place the uh the actual name to that theory right now um but both of those kind of underscore the overconfidence effect. And I think that that's human nature. Um, I think that we at times need to challenge our human nature because I think our human nature can get in the way of our trading at times and our objective appraisal of uh, financial assets. So I think being able to understand that and then really challenge that and challenge our cognitions around that and where that starts is looking for the evidence. Um so yeah, it's it's human nature to look for things that confirm our present views, especially when they put us in a flattering light. When you think about the media um, over the past, I don't know, five, six years, the whole fake news thing, the whole thing with people uh, being kind of echo chambers, like they talk to people who say things that they already agree with and you don't talk to people that you don't agree with this kind of feeds into this overconfidence because all of a sudden you think everybody thinks like me no just the people that you talk to think like you because that's who you're associating with they're telling you that you're great you was okay now you're only associating with people that tell you that you're great okay so now you feel like you're great but it's because you're who you're associating with so i think all of these things kind of feed into that uh that overconfidence effect, yeah, and I completely agree. That's something that we really need to uh, to check if we want to be our most effective selves when it comes to uh, crypto. Dr. G, would, I don't know if you've moved to a new city at all in your life. Maybe you have. but um, Several, several. Okay, so do you ever go into a new city thinking that your previous city had the worst drivers ever and then you go to the new city and you think these people are the worst drivers ever? Without a doubt, that is such a good point. <laughs> I uh, So throughout grad school, I've had to move around the country uh, several times. 
And every place that I've gone believes that their drivers are the worst drivers. <laughs> it's a, uh, it is an interesting phenomenon. So yeah, I definitely see that. I definitely see it. Like everybody thinks it's only their city where people roll through stop signs. Yeah, it's right. definitely super prevalent. <laughs> I thought that was, it's pretty interesting that everyone thinks that they're a better driver than the other person while <laughs> most people on the other side are thinking that we're idiots as well. So it's, it's all perspective in that sense. Um, so I know previously we talked about diversification in our strategy, but um, I want you to touch base on FOMO. And uh, it seems to be a big driver in the market, especially among novice such as yourself. So, and I've experienced it too. I mean, I've, I've been investing. I haven't just been holding my positions. I've been investing with all of you, especially in the dips and especially in the rises. You know, I've caught, I've caught each peak. So um, can you touch, ba- uh, touch base on this concept called as recency bias? Recency bias means you put the more you put your most weight in the things that happened most recently, in the things that are more distal, the more things that are more in the past. You kind of put less weight to. When in reality, we should really put weight to that to all of that. But our biases kind of counter that a little bit. So we need to put our countermeasures ourselves. So I think this comes back to really checking the evidence for our decisions. So like we were talking about at the beginning where, you know, you jumped in in January and all you've seen is red. Well, check that. Has it always been red? Yeah, maybe just the time that you saw, that you've seen. But what about the past four months? And really just checking the evidence, um, I think that's a big part of it. I think another way to kind of stave off FOMO is uh, to have a game plan, go in knowing what you're willing to lose um, where you're where you're putting your money, have a solid idea with them. Know like, hey, and where's where, where am I going to take profits? Like, where's that going to be? Um, so I think all of these things, and then I think obviously uh, um, being able to use what us in the uh, <laughs> the psychology is called like our coping skills, like those things that we talked about before, the things that are used to manage our emotional distress. I think having a real good toolbox of those, knowing like, hey, for me, going for walks is really helpful for me when I start noticing that like, Hey, I'm not feeling great or I'm getting a little wild, like go for a walk, go lift some weights. Maybe it's having a nice uh, cup of tea, go for a massage for somebody else. Knowing how to kind of calm down that limbic system. Like we talked about to fully engage your frontal lobe is another way of helping to kind of combat that FOMO. Cause yeah, I, I think it's a, uh, <laughs> I think it's something that we all, uh, are trying to combat for sure. You heard it, guys. Sound advice from Dr. G. Well, I really enjoyed our talk today and these psychological effects that we all have experienced on this crazy ride. Dr. G, do you have any final thoughts before we um, end this? Uh, I think the main thought is just to know where in the moment. No, when you're going to pull that trade, when you're going to do something, really think it through. What, how is my emotional state impacting this decision? Are my cognitions reality-based? If there's a possibility that they're not, evaluating the available data on that and then challenging them. Um, so I think that's those are kind of my thoughts is know yourself and know when you're off how to bring yourself back so that you make the most tra- uh, best trades for yourself. I think those are kind of uh, – you know, kind of what I think is uh, the take-home points from this. But and, hey, Candice, I just want to say thanks for having me as well. I've had a blast doing this. Uh, yeah.
Thank you. Thank you so much. And guys, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and check out our latest YouTube videos. And you can find us on all our social media platforms. We also have a Altcoin Buzz podcast YouTube video. All you have to do is search Altcoin Buzz podcast and you should be able to find it and subscribe. Until next time, this is Candice from Altcoin Buzz with Dr. G and see you later, guys.